Hello friends, welcome to Beyond the News. It's the 22nd of July 2022. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be looking at the events in Sri Lanka. A clip of John Cleese talking about freedom of speech for comedians. Joe Biden has cancer and COVID. That a lot, lot more coming up on today's Beyond the News. So without any further ado, let's go and play a clip. Um, it's attributed to Neil Oliver and there is another speaker speaking, uh, but this is GB News, and they're going to be talking about what's happening in Sri Lanka. Now, this was July the 11th, so um, there's been some development since this video, but I thought we'd give it some perspective, and then I'll talk about the developments and my opinions of those developments. Sri Lanka's president will resign to make way for a unity government, the Prime Minister's office has said, after tens of thousands of protesters stormed the official residences of both men. Months of frustration and anger at the country's unprecedented economic crisis boiled over at the weekend as occupiers vowed to stay in the palaces until both leaders have been officially removed from office. <laughs> So I'll, ju I'll just domestic I'll just skip through the bits where it's them going through all the palaces and all that kind of stuff to the the soundtrack. It's not exactly good audio, is it? It's quite good for visual. You can see the clips for yourself in the comment section, but uh, not good for radio. So I'll just clip to the uh, speaking again. Going green has meant going hungry for Sri Lankans after a blanket ban on chemical fertilizer caused domestic production of rice to collapse by 20% while prices doubled and discontent at the dangerous and damaging march to net zero is spreading west too. Inspired by Canada's liberty-loving truckers, Dutch farmers have created their own freedom convoy in protest at the country's strict green laws. Protests erupted across the border in Germany too as people all over the continent reject the speedy and devastating path to ruin. Neil Oliver... Wow, this is one heck of a movement, and surely it must be a wake-up call to politicians here in the UK. Well, you would think so. Uh, what's extraordinary amongst much else is the extent to which it's being overlooked by, by, by so much of the mainstream media. Uh, as you say, these are, these are mass popular movements involving thousands of people. Uh, we see it in Sri Lanka, but we also see unrest in the Netherlands, in Italy, in Germany, in Poland, in Albania, elsewhere, but, but mostly overlooked. Uh, you would think it would be some kind of a wake-up call for, for politicians in the, in the countries in question, but I suspect although they hear it, although they can possibly smell the smoke of approaching fire, the extent to which they can do anything about it, I think, is, well, it, it's minimal because I don't think they're making their own decisions about their own countries. I think they're doing what they're told by others uh, in the banks and, and so on. Uh, you know, what happened in WE, uh, in Sri Lanka was a product of that of that government following, you know, the, the, the madness of, of WEF-inspired policies, uh, net zero, the, the stripping out of fertilisers and all the rest of it, which, as you said in your introduction, led to, you know, wholesale strife, uh, you know, collapsing uh, crops and all the rest of it. 
Uh, but, uh, but you would think in a sane world, the politicians in each of the countries would respond to the people. Uh, but I suspect they won't. We saw something similar in Canada uh, with the with the truckers, uh, freedom convoys. But look what happened there. Obviously, Justin Trudeau was was told to get a grip of that situation. He clamped down on it violently, uh, arrested bank accounts and, and you know, took away the, the funding for that for that movement. Uh, it's a very interesting one to watch. I'm glad you're covering it. I've been paying attention to it also. Um, but I, I think it's a, the most a, important story internationally over the weekend, I think, Neil. And it's fascinating, isn't yes. it, to see the MSM ignore it until they no longer can. And it reached that tipping point in Sri Lanka. Well, yes, those were absolutely extraordinary pictures of that movement. There were so many people and the, and the shots were from such a distance. It was like ants, I thought, moving towards that presidential palace in Colombo. Uh, but then uh, amazingly, really, you know, what happened around that, that pool, the presidential pool, which was obviously the people's pool because it's, it, it's, their, it's their president, their presidential palace. But it looked incredibly peaceful. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's a that's a that's a testament to, to the to the reality of what's actually going on there. But it, it's it's so interesting to watch. Yes, it's been completely overlooked by the by the mainstream media. They're, they're still not paying attention to what's happening in Europe, but it will get to a point where it cannot be ignored. Uh, I think I think what you're looking at, I think what you're looking at in the Netherlands, for example, is the d deliberate dismantling of the landowning class. 85% of the of the land in the Netherlands is, is held by farmers and, and has been for generations. And that's an inconvenient situation for globalist leftist politicians who've got other ideas for the land, which is specifically to build houses to cope with the with the with the immigration, the levels of immigration that are going on. They've empowered themselves, the politicians, to help themselves to 30% of the Dutch farmers' land. And surprise, surprise, just as I suspect you would or I would, if somebody, if the government came into our homes and said they were taking 30% of everything we had we owned and had worked for, the farmers have said no. Uh, as well as well they as well they should. It becomes harder and harder. They, What's happening in Holland? You know, it's being it's being sold as some kind of attempt to cut down on on emissions of, of nitrates. It's not that at all, as as far as I'm concerned, and as far as other commentators are concerned, it's a blatant land grab. It gets harder and harder to ignore the intent by by leftist globalist governments to return us to some form of feudalism. All these people like us owning property, owning homes, living lives independent of the state. You know what the intention there is to is to take people's independence away, uh, take away their property, take away the land, and if you control the if you control the farmland, you control the food, and if you control the food, you control the people. So you can plainly see what the agenda is. Fascinating analysis, Neil Oliver. We will stay on this, as I know you will too, Neil Oliver. Thank you Indeed. so much. So, uh, Neil covered a lot of good points there. However, this uh, is the end result here. So this is from Thursday, the 21st of July yesterday. Sri Lanka braced for more unrest as new president vows crackdown on fascist protests. So you cause all the chaos. Oh, if you want all the chaos to end the anarchy, you want to return to civilization. We're going to need a little bit of fascism. So popular opposition to Rani Reki. Mez Ing Singhi's election by MPs could spill over into violence as he picks an old schoolmate as PM. Now then, um, who is this uh, newly appointed president, Ranil 
Wick Remy Singy. I think I'll just call him um, Ranil, Mr. Ranil, I think. Um, well, let's have a little look. He's got a degree in law, University of Colombo, 1972, enrolled as advocate, Supreme Court of Sri Lanka. Practiced as a lawyer for five years, 1977, elected to Parliament. Oh, and by the way, where am I reading this from? <sighs> He's got his own page on the World Economic Forum. So do you see how that works? The previous administration will bring in the WEF agenda, which puts the country into chaos. Then the WEF put forward this guy as the saviour. But in order to take you away from the chaos, you're going to need a little bit of fascism, i.e. all that stuff that brought those protests, you know, all that change and everything. We now need that completely stopped. We can't have that, have that happen again. So they put in those laws then. Do you, it's called problem, reaction, solution. Previous administration A brings in WEF forum. That causes absolute chaos. Uh, because of all the problems that Neil Oliver rightly described, control over uh, food, resources, all that stuff leads to the control of the people. Massive ground swelling uprising. But don't worry, the same people that implemented the policies of the chaos are now going to give you your saviour. And all he says is, right, I'll come in and we're going to need some fascism to put, the, to put all this disorder to an end. So... That's how you can circumnavigate democracy effectively and bring in fascism because people will go, I'd rather have fascism than anarchy. And what you mean under fascism, we can have a little bit of food and a little bit of petrol. Yes, but uh, OK, we'll do it then. So be very careful of that. Now, I don't think that's the case with the Dutch farmers, but we shall see. I mean, I think the Dutch were a little bit more clued up about what the the who the main perpetrators of that um, of what angered them are. So I think they'll be less likely to accept a um, Dutch economic forum appointed leader, which is probably why it won't get to the point that the previous administration resigns. See, I believe that that Sri Lanka thing was all planned all along and that is what they want for the world so be very careful when if you're going out there to protest like the dutch farmers good if you're going out there to riot you're probably playing into the hands uh, of the people because they're going to roll you up to the point that it's like yep okay oh you want change do you oh we've got just the guy for you oh and by the way we now need to put laws in so the things that cause the change i.e your protests and your rights will never happen again Yep, you're in fascism now. I think that's what they want for the whole Western world. Now, I think Sri Lanka's fallen for it. Will they continue to fall for it? Because that's a dangerous game that you play. And the question then asks is, that I ask is, on the ground, who stirred up all that Sri Lanka madness? Was it a grassroots uh, movement like in Holland? Yeah, like in Holland, yep, right, for the Dutch. Or do you have some agent provocateurs? And I bet if you look into them, you'll have ties to the. You'll have ties to P 
people currently. You get where I'm going with that. I think you understand what I'm trying to say there. So be very, very careful. Like I said last week, do it the Dutch way, not the Sri Lanka way. I think the Sri Lanka way is um, at best provoked and then, you know, it's like sticking a load of um, snakes in someone's bed or something, you know, and then watching them jump out. You know, oh, don't worry, my mate's a snake catcher. You've just got to, um, you know, give away your right to the, the, the bed, that's all. And he'll come and get those snakes out of your bed for you. Be careful it's not like that. Now then, so Sri Lanka is going to be taking a WEF guy as their new leader. Do you remember last Friday's podcast when I read out the two profiles of the WEF members in the running for the British Parliament? Well, imagine my shock when this week those two were the only two left standing. I know. I could barely, barely believe it. So Sri Lanka's got a WF guy in there. Klaus Schwab has penetrated their cabinet in Sri Lanka. And he's going to have one of his WF cronies now as the Prime Minister of Britain too. In the same week. What are the odds? What a coincidence. All as a result of basically unrest. Now the British, we didn't go and store many presidential palaces we went oh boris is an idiot oh boris is a moron oh boris has got to go oh boris is untenable uh, not that i disagree with any of those statements but there's different the the new world order is a master of manipulation and it no right how the sri lankans right they want to kick off we'll get our puppet in by them kicking off the british now nah, they're not really up for kicking off. They just love to moan and complain and tut and everything and slag things off on social media. Okay, okay. Right up to the point that they do that is untenable. Ring out some press stories of how Boris Johnson is. Okay, yeah, he he won't be able to do fresh lockdowns because his you know his his um, stance on lockdowns was so you know well hypocritical. That was one of the reasons he went and all that kind of stuff so you now need a new puppet in there who's like i take covid very seriously i'm not going to be having any any parties at mine and then you know we'll see what happens after that and then they go but the the puppets get um churned up and spat out quite quickly now at least here in britain uh we've gone through boris johnson pretty quickly we went through theresa may pretty quickly People are starting to cotton on and, and hold their leaders to account a little bit quicker here in Britain. But what we need to snap out of is the idea that the leaders are just corrupt and incompetent. No, they're highly competent. They just don't work for us. And um, both the new Prime Minister candidates here in Britain have their own pages on the WEF and I read it out last Friday so um, be very very careful about that situation go the Dutch route peaceful route next up we have Tesla this is from MSN Tesco 200,000 angry customers demand supermarket stops replacing people with machines here here 
Good for them. Over 200,000 angry Tesco customers are demanding that the supermarket stops replacing staff with machines. Customers complain that the self-service tills have made shopping experience overwhelming and a nightmare. I do think it would be better. I mean, it's good. You know, a petition started by 69-year-old customer Pat McCarthy from West London has racked up 209,000 signatures and gained momentum with Bring Back Tesco staff trending on Twitter on Tuesday morning. That's July the 19th. Pat wrote, what used to be a great shopping experience has now become physically difficult, has now become physically difficulty. I think that's probably meant to be difficult, isn't it? Overwhelming and a nightmare. At my local Tesco megastore and probably all over the country, Tesco is bringing in new self-service and sort it out yourself card only till machines. They make up two thirds of the tills now. The petition argues that these tills are not accessible for people who don't have credit cards. Oh, cashless society. As many are cashless and have little confidence in the technology, as well as older people or people with disabilities. With fewer staffed tills open, this will, this was leading to long queues for those who couldn't use self-service, it said. Uh, I love chatting with staff, albeit briefly, especially as I live on my own. Talking with human staff is important to me now that experience has, has been taken away, Pat said. Also, those staff will spend money in the local economies. The self-service tills will not. Good start, but what if those 209,000 people all went and spent their money in a local small business shop? You know? Now, there will be those that say, I just can't do that. Um, the only store around here is a Tesco. All the other small businesses have been put out of business. And, um, all the, you know, it's difficult to deal with the farmers direct because the supermarkets have them into contracts and all that kind of stuff. But if he's living in West London, Mr. McCarthy, that's not the case. Go and please support a local small business and by all means write a letter to Tesco as to why you're never going there again. And then go and see if you can, you know, get hold of the other 209,000 people and say, hey, why don't you do the same? If they don't take on board your petition, vote with your feet. That would be my experience. But a good, uh, a good start for Mr. Pat McCarthy there. And uh, there was something else that... Um, that I was going to mention on that, but nope, it slipped my mind. Never mind. Uh, the next story, I posted this on my Facebook Beyond the News group just for. I've told my listeners before that Facebook no longer allows me to share from my personal feed onto the Beyond the News page. What I have to do is copy, open the link on my Facebook feed, copy and paste the URL into a document then go into Facebook again switch accounts from my personal account to my Beyond the News account and then copy and paste the URL that's what I did with this ITV link and a lot of people couldn't read it and I thought oh bloody Facebook but I've since uh, uploaded it myself and it's not opening at all for anything so for once I don't think Facebook is to blame for the actual opening of the article however they have made it ridiculously difficult to share things onto pages which is the free flow of information is um, is what people joined up to Facebook for so just as I predicted and have predicted for the last 98 episodes or 97 if this is 98 
Facebook will go down, but not out. It will just become a place where uh, where negative people scream at each other uh, and pair, share pictures of their dinner and write on their new Facebook feed, Oh my God. And then someone write underneath, What's up, babe? And they'll write, Oh, I don't want to talk about it. DM me. You know? It will just be a place of that. And it's fast becoming that, in my opinion. And part of that is the... Well, it's just... It's no one cares about it anymore. It's it you know you it used to be a there's a marketplace. Uh, certain uh, people go on there to, for the marketplace and that kind of stuff. I understand that, but people aren't on there engaging with other people anymore because, um, as someone said to me, all the interesting people have been kicked off. <laughs> I say that being not kicked off myself, <laughs> and. Uh, the, the censorship's come through a variety of forms, and it, they've just—it's just a joke now. The Facebook fact checkers admitted in court, "Well, we're not actually fact checkers. We're just, you know, we just really strongly opinionated people that Facebook calls fact checkers." We've read that out of the podcast before. The woke agenda, and which will be John Cleese will be coming up talking about that in a moment. But it's also simply there's just so much negativity and. Um, just boring stuff that just no one cares so it's you're scrolling through now and i used to scroll through it to get the news for the show from the news feeds of the really interesting people i know um one third of them banned and gone now the other third don't bother with facebook anymore leaving me a third uh of the news articles which i can no longer share just by clicking the share button it you know i have to go through the process before open copy paste and then go switch accounts and do it again and do that for every single article so as i've said on numerous occasions there isn't much point in me being there in terms of beyond the news i will probably post i haven't done it for a while but i will probably post the spotify links and all the comments in one go so at least people if they they want to uh, see what i'm talking about on the podcast they can do so but people don't really read the comments so i don't think many people are going to be opening but it'll be there as a reference guide so if someone mainly if you know a gig or something like that someone came to me you were talking about that in your set i can go right you on facebook right go to beyond the news right go to but again, I don't need to do that now because I can just say to him, are you on Spotify? Yes, we are. All right. OK. And and probably I would say, if I'm honest, just as many people are now on Spotify or was on Facebook, especially the people that are interested in this sort of stuff. So it's not really a big catchment on Facebook anymore. Yeah, but I'll still do it for the reference sake of it. But um, yeah. Facebook's going down, man, but it will never go out. People always say, oh, it'll go bankrupt. No, I don't predict that whatsoever. I think MySpace is still going somewhere, isn't it? Or at least it did for years, but it won't get that bad. It will just literally become... I mean, there are people that are now addicted to Facebook. It's as simple as that. The um, We've talked about it before on the how it affects the endorphins and the notifications and all that kind of stuff. So there will be people that are, you know, addicted to it. And it doesn't matter how negative there is or anything like that. You know, there are also people that are really 
almost addicted to arguments. I mean, there's loads of people that just crop up for an argument. And so you've just got to really step back and look at it from like a, a mainstream perspective. What does Facebook offer now? No free flow of information. I mean, you can probably scroll through and read things, but for me, I want to share them. So I can't do that now, not without all the hassle I just described. What else does it offer? The marketplace, yes, some people use that, fair enough. But what else? Well, it's just gonna be pictures of people's dinner, dogs, pets, and arguments. And I've seen a few people on Facebook this week saying, because they sort of come back to it after a self-imposed sort of break from it or something, and they've got, it's just not the same. It, it, there's no, there's no, there's nothing, you know? Uh, and um, people's algorithms, you used to get loads of likes. I, I'm, I see people that used to get loads of likes and I'm not get, really getting anything now. If they changed the algorithm or anything like that, it's just people have become numb to it. It's just scroll, 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 um, and that, that's what it is. It, you're scrolling for argument, negativity, picture of someone's pet, picture of someone's holiday, advert, argument. And just repeat, occasionally a quite a good meme comes up and yeah, they're usually the ones that have gone, uh, Facebook have fact-checked this information and found it to be false on a meme. So, um, yeah, but it will never die because there are plenty of the people in this world who, who want to go onto Facebook and think, if I contribute in someone else's drama, they'll come and contribute in mine. And then, you know, that way, it's like the whole, um, I'm going to change my Facebook profile picture, you know, I'll see who like, and then you go and like theirs and when they change theirs and all that kind of stuff. Oh, so can you like mine when I put my new picture up, please? It's, yeah, I spend very little time on there now and it pleases me to say that. And one of the reasons that I can still get some superb information is because of the own group that I started on Telegram at Beyond the News Gym, where you can have total free flow of information, uncensored, and you build a community of like-minded people. And we've got a new member this week that's contributed, and I'm gonna play one of the videos that he's put on that um, forum. <laughs> I still had the link up from the WF forum, so that's probably where the word forum coming from. Yeah, but yeah, the Beyond the News telegram form so here's john cleese uh, this clip is from uh, something to do with fox news at freedom fest 2022 and he's talking about how wokeness has had a disastrous impact on comedy um, and i would say all forms of free speech really let's have a listen no no, there's always been limitations on what they're allowed to say. I mean, why you go to Moliere and Louis XIV? I mean, Moliere had to be a bit careful. Um, and there have always been limitations. I mean, in England, until some ridiculous late date, like 1965, all plays had to be submitted to what used to be a part of the palace called the Lord Chamberlain. He would read it, and there were hilarious letters used to go back for us, saying, you know, may only say f once. This sort of <laughs> and you cannot say bugger, <laughs> but you can say this sort of ridiculous 
um, negotiating letters. So they've always been it, but I think it's particularly worrying at the moment because you can only create in an atmosphere of, of, of freedom um, where uh, you're not checking everything you say critically before you move on. What you have to be able to do is to build without knowing where you're going, because you've never been there before. That's what creativity is, so you have to be allowed to build. And a lot of comedians now uh, are sitting there, and when they think of something, they start thinking, oh, could I get away with that? I don't think so. So-and-so got into trouble when he said that or she said that. You see what I mean? And that's the death of creativity. Uh, so you find that comedians start moving into what sort of safe areas. Like, you can't really get cancelled these days for anything to do with sex, whereas that's exactly what you would have got cancelled for in the 60s, you see. What I mean? It's as though human beings want to have some things that you absolutely mustn't do and other things that are all right. And they just change every 25 years. So I would say at the moment, this is a difficult time, particularly for young comedians, but you see my audience is much older and they're simply not interested in most of the work attitudes. I mean, they just think that uh, you should try and be kind to people and that's no need to complicate it. You know. Well, disastrous. I mean, comedians having to think, well, can I say this or not? You know, that, and that. Once you start checking everything, you, it's very hard to be very creative because you can't build on anything without thinking. You see, the moment that the critical mind comes in, you stop being creative. They're, they're definitely in opposition to each other. You can do the creation and then criticize it, but you can't do them at the same time. So if you're worried about offending people and constantly thinking of that, you are not going to be very creative. So I think it has a disastrous effect. You want everything is more politicized now. I mean, it wasn't like this when I first got to America. When I first got to America in the 60s, I mean, two things happened. First of all, I very much admired the um, uh, cross-the-aisle friendships and thought we don't have that in England. We have real battles between the Tories and the Labour. But in America, there seemed to be these... And this was destroyed by Newt Gingrich, quite deliberately for purposes of power. I think that's a tragedy. But you're quite right. The, 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 uh, when you look at um, Colbert now, whom I adore, the audience is more obviously politically aligned than it used to be, but it's also it's true everywhere. I think uh, Canadians can sometimes summarize in a moment what's happening very well, but I don't think they ever change anything. Peter Cook used to have a wonderful routine about those brilliant Berlin cabarets that did so much to stop Hitler from rising to power. <laughs> no. No, I think you should allow audiences to, I mean, if you go to a Republican convention and... Sorry, the question here is, is there ever a time when a comedian should be cancelled for a joke? And Cleese's answer is no, and we're about to hear why. Anti-Democrat jokes, you'll get a very good response. If you tell anti-Republican jokes, you won't. So you've got to fit your material to some extent to your audience, and that's part of it. I mean, if you go to see your granny for a week, or a day, you go, sorry, if you go to, to see your uh, granny and, and to have tea with her, you don't start telling her sex jokes. Now, that's not because it's illegal, it's just bad manners. 
So I think you would think what the audience is, and then you might shock them a little bit, because that's fun. And also, as I point out on stage, if you get into areas that are a little bit taboo, you actually get the biggest laughs, which is why sexual humor has often got greeted with huge laughs when it's not particularly funny. It's to do with anxiety and the release of anxiety when people um, relax or, or, or laugh with spare energy that comes from the fact that they've just uh, laughed at something they've been anxious about before. Uh, I think the great sadness now for me is that... The Question here, do you feel optimistic about the future of comedy? Very, very few really good comedy scripts. And I think there used to be. Certainly in England, when I went to the theatre between the 60s and 2000, there were probably six or seven writers writing absolutely wonderful comedies, beautifully constructed, good characters. And I think this was true in America too, because Broadway was all important, and the people working on Broadway were very literate, they wrote a great deal, and they knew how to plot. What I feel now is that very few people understand how to plot comedy. So the, 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 the comedies in America are really aimed at young men because they're the ones who go to the cinema on Friday night, which means that the box office looks good. And it's, it's all down ultimately to money because we we're, we're, uh, now have studios that are more interested in money than in making great movies. And in the old days, they wanted to make great movies too. Roxanne. <laughs> Dirty rotten scoundrel. Um, so, it does. I so don't the, the question he was just asked: What was the last great comedy you've seen? And he said, "Dirty rotten scoundrels." Um, I would agree. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the last one, um, but I would agree that it is an absolutely fantastic comedy. The uh, Michael Caine and Steve Martin version, um, both uh, one of my favourite movies of all time very 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 funny and the advert i remember watching the advert as a child in a cinema and the advert wasn't part of the film uh, but the advert is the funniest advert that i think i've ever seen in my life it's um i'm trying to remember back <laughs> 35 years ago now but it was uh along the lines of um michael kane and steve martin walking along uh, a riverbank towards the camera and there was um, a little old lady sitting by the camera by the riverbank and um, the film said, uh, uh, the narrator said, uh, some men in life are gentlemen, kind, respectful and all these lists of very kind words as the Steve Martin and Michael Caine approached the camera and um, and then I think just Michael Caine or Steve Martin just pushes the old lady into the river. And the narrator says, this is the story of two men who are not these things. And um, it was never part of the film. It, usually in adverts, they usually have, you know, clips of the film, don't they? Whereas this, it was never in the film. They just filmed it as a comedy sketch deliberately as the advert. And I always thought that was really fresh and original and something that I've never seen done in a film before where... Um, I think oh, I think Quentin Tarantino did it for Jackie Brown. Did an advert different to, without the clips of the uh, of the film, but uh, something very different that I wish some filmmakers had did. And, and uh, it made me want to go and watch the film. And 
Oh, I wasn't disappointed. Uh, it, it, I still watch it to this day as one of the finest comedies I think I've ever seen. Anyway, people aren't here for my review of Dirty Rotten's Girl, which was a film from the 80s, by the way. <laughs> so this isn't it. I'm not exactly doing a Barry Norman with something that's coming out now, am I? All right, so let's uh, finish off with John Cleese here. Because when you spent your life in comedy, the time you get to 55 years in comedy, you heard most of the jokes and you watch people, you think, yeah, that's funny, but... I have better things to do this evening than watch comedy. I don't need to be entertained. I'd rather read a book. Yep. And I think there's quite a few people that now uh, would rather learn than listen to a, a lot of the uh, modern comedy. But not all. There's some great stuff out there. Uh, on the television, I should say. it's um, You know, I think we're at the point now where people understand that it's not, you know, there's only certain topics you can talk about on the television. So... So now we're going to go to a clip of uh, Tucker Carlson and it's a uh, new COVID vaccine research raises alarm Tucker Carlson tonight and uh, it's being played from Rumble. I ha own no copyright on anything that I've played whatsoever. If anyone has a problem with any of the stuff that I've played on this podcast or others, you can email me at beyondthenews at protonmail.com. When I say problem, I mean, you know, legal ones, as if you're using my stuff and you can't, and I'll go and edit it out and take it out. Um, you can, by all means, send an email to beyondthenews at protonmail.com saying, you're a crazy conspiracy theorist, I've got absolutely no time for you. Um... That, that's fine as well. It, it won't be read and you should probably redefine what theory means because I'm only bringing you mainstream news from around the world. So um, probably take a good long look at how you define theoretical. Right, now let's listen to Tucker Carlson. Thanks of others in his party, Gretchen Whitmer, probably sitting in her rec room right now polishing a resume. I could replace him. But the real story here is the medical story. Joe Biden and a whole lot of other people have gotten pretty sick with COVID after getting multiple shots. What is that about exactly? How did that happen? It's easy to just mock that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. That's clearly untrue. But is there a connection between getting most, multiple COVID vac shots and getting sicker? Is it possible that the vaccine actually can hurt you, especially if you keep getting boosted? Can it weaken your immune system? Well, that looks possible. Multiple studies have looked into this. Just last month, the Journal of Food and Chemical Toxicology published the findings of several mRNA researchers, and we're quoting, in this paper, we present evidence that vaccination induces a profound impairment in type one interferon signaling, which has diverse adverse consequences to human health. Well, that seems like a headline. Did you read that in the New York Times? No, you probably didn't. Kind of weird since hundreds of millions of people got the shot. The researchers continued that in their studies of the COVID vaccine, quote, we identify potential profound disturbances in regulatory control of protein synthesis and cancer surveillance. These disturbances potentially have a causal link to neurodegenerative disease, myocarditis, Bell's palsy, liver disease, impaired adaptive immunity, impaired DNA damage response, etc. So it's possible, in fact, it's looking likely that the vaccine might suppress the immune system. This fact, the authors concluded, will, quote, have a wide range of consequences, not the least of which include the reactivation of latent viral infections and the reduced ability to effectively combat future infections, end quote. Now, again, we sincerely hope 
that's not true. But it's not just the conclusion of one scientific journal. The Lancet, maybe the most famous scientific journal in the world, released similar findings in February. The Lancet's piece was entitled, quote, Risk of Infection, Hospitalization, and Death Up to Nine Months After a Second Dose of COVID-19 Vaccine. A physician called Kenji Yamamoto made this observation about the data from The Lancet. He wrote this in a letter to the Journal of Virology, and we're quoting, The study showed that immune function among vaccinated individuals eight months after the administration of two doses of COVID-19 vaccine was lower than that among the unvaccinated individuals. Ah. Now, your first response, if you're a humane person, to a line like that has got to be deep sympathy. Because people were misled, they were forced. They were forced. Medical ethics thrown out the window. People were forced to take medicine they didn't want. And some of them may have been hurt by it. You won't find anything of the text of the article saying what Kenji Yamamoto said, which is weird. Why would the Lancet want to hide a major finding like that? We can't say. But if you look at table three in the piece, here's what you'll find buried in the data. Among people around the age of 80 who have been double vaccinated, that would include people like Joe Biden, The per capita rate of medical incidences, including hospitalizations or death, is nearly twice as high as the rate of serious incidents for the unvaccinated. This is 180 days after vaccination. What is that? And why is no one interested? The piece also includes a chart showing negative vaccine efficacy for all ages after eight months for all participants in the study. So again, This is sad news for a lot of Americans, profound indictment, maybe the greatest indictment in our lifetimes of our leaders, their recklessness, their pigheadedness, their dishonesty. Given this, how is the D.C. government, among many others, still requiring school children, public and private school children, to get a COVID vaccine? That's a question that no one asked at today's White House press briefing. How are members of the U.S. military being dismissed without their pensions because they won't take this same vaccine in light of these study results? Is no one paying attention? How is this allowed? But instead, today at the White House briefing, all the questions are about the proof of life video that Joe Biden's office released today. Here it is. Hey, folks, guess you heard this morning I tested positive for COVID. But I've been double vaccinated, double boosted. Symptoms are mild, and uh, and I really appreciate your inquiries and your concerns. But I'm doing well, getting a lot of work done, going to continue to get it done. Here's a question. Is there a single public statement Joe Biden has made since Inauguration Day that he did not read off a teleprompter? Is there one? Find it. So the question that came up in today's press briefing was, after seeing that, is who shot that footage? Is that person in danger? Well, once again, the president's glass-ceiling-shattering publicist, Karine Jean-Pierre, was asked that question, and she said it's totally fine because the video was taken outside, and there's no risk outside that we will arrest you for paddleboarding in California. But then an hour earlier, to make this even messier, because it's inherently messy because it's Biden-related, the White House released this picture, and it shows Joe Biden, brace yourselves, indoors, at his desk, no mask. So who shot that picture? Is that person still alive? Does that person have monkeypox? Presumably the White House photographer is vaccinated. That's got to be a requirement work in there. But as we just saw, that may make the photographer more vulnerable to infection. And in fact, and we hate to say this, it might mean the photographer is now more likely to face 
serious health complications. So underlying all of this is a really ominous fact, and that is a lot of people have been hurt by this. You hate to say it. Germany's Ministry of Health found that one in 5,000 Germans have suffered, quote, serious side effects after a COVID-19 vaccine. Now, one in 5,000 may seem like a lot or a little, but extrapolate forward to the United States, a country with our population. That would mean that in the U.S., if that number holds constant across countries, and why wouldn't it, it would mean more than 100,000 Americans may have been seriously injured by the COVID vaccine. Why does no one talk about them? Why does nobody care? And what happens to them now? If Joe Biden accomplishes a single thing as, as president, you'll be getting more people to ask that question today. And it's a fair question. And to end, science is about questions. Science is questioning. So anyone who tells you you're anti-science for asking a question doesn't understand what science is. Dr. Harvey Risch is a professor emeritus of epidemiology at the Yale School of Public Health, and he joins us tonight. Doctor, thanks so much for coming on. I, it, what worries me in all of this is not necessarily what the results are of these studies, though they seem kind of scary, but the fact that no one in charge of our public health systems is talking about it, apologizing for statements they made that were wrong. There's no accountability. I just feel like no one's going to ever trust doctors again after this. Are you worried about that? Well, I'm worried about the credibility of medicine, about public health, about government institutions, about Congress people even. Nobody has been forthcoming and, and talking honestly about any of this. But our whole system, I never thought about this until the last two years, but it's, it's built on trust and everybody trusts their doctor. I always have, everybody does. People love doctors. Doesn't the medical establishment understand that their credibility is at stake and that's kind of existential for them and for all of us? Well, the problem is that doctors are more afraid of what happens if they go outside the permitted messaging than just hiding behind going along to get along, you know, and, and so their credibility loss follows because they were unwilling to stand up to the message. You are one of the few who's had heterodox views on this and has said so publicly. What have other prof professors you worked with, other physicians that you know, people who have lived in your world for some time, what have they said to you privately? I have lots of people who've supported what I've said, people from diverse walks of life in different academic disciplines, not just medicine, epidemiology, and science, that basically everybody's got some reason to be scared about being public because of negative consequences to them, their economics, their family, and whatever. So they prefer, prefer to just kind of be under the radar. And in fact, the telemedicine groups have been under the radar, but have treated more than a quarter million of Americans with the drugs that one's not allowed to talk about, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, very, very successfully, overwhelmingly successfully, a quarter of a million people treated that way. And it's all sub rosa, but it's, it's working that way. Boy, you read accounts of the Soviet Union, Soviet science that was so ideological that it was insane. Are you worried that that's happening in our country? Well, yes and no. You know, to the degree that people believe our current insanity, I would be worried about it. But I don't know that there's a large amount of belief except for maybe 20 or 30 percent of the, the medical establishment and the general population that are true believers. And the, the rest are either skeptics or know the truth but can't really come out with it, can't be public about it. Oh, man. I feel like we're losing a lot right now. Thank you for your bravery and your commitment to actual science. Dr. Harvey Risch, great to see you. Pleasure.
Okie dokie, so that was some great information from uh, Tucker Carlson then. Just want to uh, dovetail this with, if I put in, because I was trying to find that clip on YouTube rather than Rumble, if I put in Tucker Carlson vaccines, that clip doesn't come up, or at least on the page one. What comes up is, um, now this news, Tucker Carlson's vaccine misinformation. Ex report ex Fox reporter reveals while Tucker Carlson is lying about vaccines. Next one. Tucker Carlson has a bonkers new COVID vaccine conspiracy theory. Next one. Why vaccinated Biden got a breakthrough infection. Next one. Tucker Carlson confronted over vaccine stance. The view. Tucker Carlson's Christmas meltdown. Newsmax requires COVID vaccines and Trump's legal woes. Dr. Fauci explains COVID vaccine efficacy. Dangerous former Fox News correspondent rips Carlson's vaccine rhetoric. Now, most of the ones mentioned in Tucker Carlson's name are all about a year old. But isn't it interesting that that's what comes up on YouTube? Probably no surprises to any of my Beyond the News listeners. But isn't it interesting? Again, just to talk about that last clip, all the stuff about the ruining of the immune system, all that kind of stuff. That clip is very recent. But I was talking about that on Beyond the News over a year ago now with the uh, Francis Crick guy. I forget, is it David Bauer, Dr. David Bauer? I, I know it's the Francis Crick Institute where he said, yeah, the vaccines, they uh, people who take them seem to have less of their gold standard immune system stuff. I mean, I've paraphrased, but that's what he said. Go and, go and listen to that for yourself. And uh, I put that on social media at the time, uh, you know, with the whole, you know, because I got very active on va uh, vaccines about a year ago until they dropped the mandates. Um, you know, no one should be forced to take anything to keep their job. So I was like, right, you need to have all these facts. And I got all the grief and everything like that. But putting that clip up, people just, the arguments just dropped off. It's like, and they get, I get that quite a bit. Oh, Jim knows what he's talking about. Let's just, no, let's just, just ignore it. He's, 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 he's got a clip we can't argue with. It obviously makes him a crazy conspiracy theorist. Let's just leave him alone. And there's that mass sort of cognitive dissonance. But that's a year old. And now Tucker Carlson's saying pretty much the exact same thing as a result of scientific studies. So where are the uh, MS... The, the, all the stuff of uh, Tucker Carlson's vaccine misinformation, for example, that's a year old. Where are all the latest mainstream media going calling Tucker Carlson a lunatic this time it's not there and I've noticed a lot of the anti-vax sentiment um, the hatred towards the anti-vax sentiment has gone down as well it's almost as if it's starting to sink in with the public that maybe these weren't a good idea I don't think they quite understand the extent of the problem but I think it's at least starting to come up and that and the fact that the the booster uptake rate was what it, it Figures are tricky, but I think I've read out some before. It's like 20% and loads were thrown away or, or trying to be sold to somewhere else because no one wanted them anymore, that kind of stuff. So um, very interesting scenario there. And we shall be keeping an ear on it here on Beyond the News. Now then, treatment of UK prisoners during COVID meets UN definition of torture. 20th of July, Eric Allison for The Guardian. Report finds 85% of inmates were locked up for 23 hours a day with sadly predictable results. It cannot be ignored. By and large, we 
know by now hospitals, care homes, schools and most other state-run institutions coped or didn't with COVID pandemic, but not until now. With this shocking, distressing, authentic and academically robust study, we have had the unvarnished truth about conditions in UK prisons. The report, led by prisoner-led charity User Voice and Queen's University Belfast, reveals that 85% of prisoners reported being locked up for at least 23 hours a day for long periods. The consequences were sadly predictable. Anxiety, depression, self-harm and off-the-scale mental illness. Prisoners are medicated all day prisoners are medicated all day and just sleep and scream out of their windows all night says one account i mean 23 hours of bang up is really not good says another some of these lads are really ill there's one bloke who is screaming at the top of his lungs his head is going further and further down the drain this in a system that was in meltdown pre-covid with soaring suicide and self-harm rates it was overcrowded and underfunded and short-staffed Prison mental health services were at best inadequate before COVID. Since the outbreak in some jails, they have been non-existent. Support services largely disappeared, gyms stopped, education stopped, family visits stopped, even taking a shower became difficult. So um, there you go. And of course, a lot of those side effects happened outside of prison as well. I'm just giving you an update on a story I carried a few weeks ago about Prince Charles. Here's the... um, conclusion that uh, I predicted and I'm sure any of all of you expected. Uh, Prince Charles will not be probed by Charity Commission over 2.5 million cash donation in suitcase and carrier bags from the former Qatari Prime Minister. If you want to know more about it go and listen to where I broke it all down beforehand. What a surprise if Prince Andrew doesn't get arrested for all of his associations with known child sex traffickers, child molesters and um, court cases where the FBI want to question him if 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 he's not going to get in trouble for that <laughs> prince charles isn't going to get in trouble over a load of cash is he simple as that so um from the that was the daily mail now i usually like to read the daily mail comments but i won't on that one there's there's no need is there we all know what was going to happen there it was pretty obvious right so again from the daily mail now by jonathan gornall 20th of july Have millions been taking antidepressants with harmful side effects for decades when there's no scientific evidence they do not, they do, hang on, when there's no scientific evidence they do what they claim. There we go. Some experts have suspected it for years. Now patients have been left reeling by a groundbreaking study. So new research shows the theory justifying antidepressants is just a myth. The research confirms that some medical professionals Uh, what some medical professionals have suspected. Depression being a chemical imbalance has been proven to be unfounded. Right. Okay, and now bearing in mind there will be other papers that get a hold of this paper and go, no, we completely disagree with it. But that's what science is, where you have debate on both sides, and I'll bring you the debate on both sides. Um, As Tucker Carlson said earlier, that's what science is. Debate is healthy. That's how you get to the truth. And when one side silences the other, if you were to guess which one's hiding truth? (laughs) Oh, well, probably that side. Well, yeah, bingo, because, you know, it's the same side that wanted to hide all their documents for 75 years. Anyway, getting back to this topic. Like millions of patients who seek help from their GPs with depression, Emma Ward has repeatedly told she was suffering from an imbalance of chemicals in the brain. If Emma wanted to get better, 
her doctor said the 26-year-old should keep taking the antidepressants she had been prescribed since she was 15, even though the drugs did not improve her mood and left her feeling perpetually numb emotionally. Now, shocking new research published yesterday that the theory justifying the millions of prescriptions for antidepressants handed out every month to patients such as Emma is simply not true. The research confirms that with some medical professionals have increasingly come to suspect that the chemical imbalance theory that the depression is due to a lack of the brain chemical serotonin is nothing more than a myth. Um, point out that it is important that's a myth that's made pharmaceutical companies a lot of money either by people buying for themselves or going okay we'll just sign you off sick with depression and charge it to the taxpayer here in the UK and I'm still a fan of that of the NHS by the way uh, this myth was I can criticize parts of it while loving most of it that's about the NHS this myth was created more than 35 years ago by pharmaceutical companies to justify their products and has been perpetrated ever since by the training and practice of doctors around the world. In the most comprehensive review of the research on links between depression and serotonin ever carried out, researchers from the UK, Italy and Switzerland looked at 17 major international reviews that had documented the findings from more than 260 studies involving 300,000 patients. The findings, published in the journal Molecular Psychiatry, undermine the basis for decades of prescribing the most commonly used antidepressants, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, or SSRIs. So just, I'm no expert, but I do know there are a variety of side effects associated with those as well. Uh, a lot of uh, the shooters of, in America have been on those kind of stuff, haven't they? A lot of them have ties to government facilities as well, but uh, we'll just leave that for a whole other day. Not all and the facilities are different but and in various guises but um yeah serotonin is a neurotransmitter a chemical that transmits messages between nerve cells the nhs website says that while it could be too simplistic to say depression and related mental health conditions are caused by low serotonin levels it is thought ssris work by increasing serotonin levels in the brain it is thought that they work so right we'll give a load of people all these chemicals uh, have some side effects on them but we think they work and that was 35 years ago it's taken 35 years to start to ask questions now I'm not even saying they're right I'm just saying that I love the questions being asked I'm not here to tell you what I think the answers will be because I don't have the medical or psychiatric or chemical knowledge to tell you but what I am here to say is debate is good and it's taken 35 years to get to the point and it looks like oh guess what the pharmaceutical companies may have uh, you know told a few porkies to make a few quid i mean it's possible i just wonder what on earth we're going to be talking about those vaccines in 35 years time interesting won't it right their use is rising inexorably of the record seven 4 million antidepressant prescriptions issued in England and Mar England in March alone. Almost 4 million were SSRIs. The majority of patients prescribed antidepressants are women. There are currently eight different... Uh, anyway, right, let's get down to the actual comments because I want to see what the uh, Daily Mail readers make of this one. So, um, best rated. Up, 2, 2, 2, 2. Down, 2, 4, 6. So we're looking roughly 90% to 10 here. Okay, here we go. My husband has bipolar and they took him off antidepressants. He tried to drive off a cliff. 
Luckily, he saw our baby sock and stopped. That was 19 years ago, and it was like yesterday. Antidepressants don't fix him, but they keep him more stable. So yes, they can help. Let's just add more stigma, shall we? That's a very compassionate comment that's liked by the Daily Mail there for the Daily Mail. Yeah. Okay, so that's they're kind of saying they do. A lot of people believe that they help a bit. All right, uh, that's fair enough. All right then. Um, worst rated. Here we are. Up 106, down 263. Cod liver oil helps depression more than Prozac. Okay. Well, I have no doubt that there are certain... Um, if we are going down the whole antidepressants work because of the chemical routine, then you can get chemicals from um, food and nutritional supplements as well. Who knows their effect? So, all right, the Daily Mail people aren't buying that. Interesting. But I love the idea of just the debate being had. I don't know what the answer is. So uh, that's a good way. (laughs) That's a good way for me to end the show here on Beyond the News. I don't know what the answer is. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone, whether you listened on uh, the various channels that Spotify links up to or whether you're one of our radio Illumini listeners. A big thank you.